I think Airbnbs are here to stay and here to grow. The good ones, the good ones. I think with already interest rates rising now, I see less people buying Airbnbs or it's just a little bit tougher until prices go down a little bit because I haven't seen prices go down anywhere. And I know interest rates have been going up, so it just makes it mathematically tougher for people to buy good deals. <clears throat> With traveling, I still see traveling being a huge trend. And I see the existing properties that are already high quality, like continuing to thrive. Everybody wanna get the bag, but y'all really know what it's gonna take. Trying to figure out how to start now. Blue gems, gotta show you it all. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems. Welcome back to another episode of Blue Gems Podcast, where we are interviewing a beast in the short-term rental game. His name is Bailey Kramer. What a pleasure, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for coming um, on, bro. It's a delight. Uh, so let's dive deep into your story of how you got into real estate and why you chose short-term rentals. For sure. So story goes back to really my sophomore year of college. I was, I've always had the goal of finishing college and then doing something, running my own business so I can make my own money, control my own time and be my own boss. Like that was the whole goal. I had no idea how I was going to get there, but that was the goal. So the sophomore year, I read, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And he talked about this real estate thing. And I was like, I got, this is like, this is the path. I don't know exactly what in real estate, but real estate, cash flow, everything he was saying, assets. I was like, this is, this is it. <laughs> so that was kind of the start of it. As far as actually short-term rentals, I completely stumbled into it because once I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I went on a big networking uh, phase. That's where we actually connected. Yep, yep. And from there, just networking with so, as many people as I could, learning as much as I could. And I was trying to get into the multifamily route at first, realized that it didn't align with my goals of finishing college with nice income coming in. So pivoted to single family, partnered up with somebody I met through a mastermind group I joined, who he had experience in, in the single family stuff. So we started doing single family flips and long-term rentals. And then we were doing all this was off-market lead generation. So we found a property, which ended up being my first short-term rental property. But at the time, we had no experience, no intention to get into it. But the deal was almost too good to pass up. So we kind of just said, you know, what can we do to, to get into this deal? We didn't really want to do a long-term rental with it. It didn't make full sense for that. It didn't make full, we, it was too uncomfortable to do a flip, fix and flip. We said, what if we did a short-term rental with it? Started just kind of looking at some comps in the area, just doing whatever we could do. And we kind of just went for it on that first one. Wow. <laughs> so what year did you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? How far back was that? That was December of 2019. December 2019. And then you started getting into multifamily around just like 2020, early 2020? Yeah. So December 2019 was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. A couple months of just pure bigger pockets. And that was really it. Just like learning from that, from YouTube stuff. And then from about, I would say March of 2021, that's when COVID hit. Right. When COVID hit, you started getting into the Airbnb game? No. So March 2020 is like, all right, I did all the education, or not all the education. I got enough education those four months. 
to take some action. So I joined a mastermind group for multifamily and started a podcast, started a meetup group, but just expanded my network with the sites of, okay, multifamily real estate. I was in that mastermind for about six months before I made the switch to doing single family. So that was a single family switch. When I made that switch, that was in about October of 2021. So it's about a little bit less than a year after reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. No, said, okay, I'm going to do single family. Spent about four months of time, um, four months of time trying to find actually find a find a property, do an off market lead gen, and then finally in February of 2021 was when I bought my first fix and flip. So about a year and two months after Rich Dad Poor Dad, I finally had my first fix and flip. Yeah, yeah so how'd you fund the first one, man? So the first one, like I mentioned, from my mastermind group, met a ton of people and partnered with somebody in the group. He had a couple properties himself, single family homes. So the way we funded that first one was actually through our mastermind group as well. And I had pretty much instant credibility from just being in the mastermind. And then I didn't have to convince someone, you know, real estate's a great investment. This is a great route because everyone in the mastermind already knew it. So we had that benefit going towards us that we were surrounded with the right people to begin with. Um, how did it go? Because usually <laughs> that first, first one, one is, could be uh, rough. you know, it could be pretty strenuous. It could be a failure and most people learn from it, of course, but did you actually make a profit too? Yeah, we, we did make a profit, but this was a pretty small flip. So we bought it for $80,000 or 85,000. We put about $40,000 into it, 30 to $40,000 into it. And we sold it for 175. So oh, we actually yeah. had some, some margin built in. Only problem was though, the rehab took forever. And this is like a really small three bedroom, one bathroom house, like or two bedroom, two bathrooms, but it was pretty tiny. So it shouldn't take, I don't know. I, I don't do fix and flips anymore, but from what we did, it shouldn't have taken, taken more than 45, 60 days for the actual rehab itself. Mm, it right. wasn't that crazy. It took us like four months, wow. maybe even five just for the rehab part. Wow. So we bought it in February. We didn't sell it until I want to say September. Oh wow. So it was it just took forever. We had a decent payday at the end of the day, like 10 grand each, something around along those lines, after a lot of ho more holding costs than expected. So it worked out. We made money, thank God we didn't lose money, but it definitely didn't get me excited to do fix and flips in the future. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, no, not with that return for sure. <laughs> so then where did you go after the fix and flip then? So while we were doing the fix and flip. We were, our, our lead generation was like building up at this point. So we were getting tons of leads. And when we got that first one, when we closed on the first one, we had the next one under contract within a week. Then we had the next one in a couple more weeks. And for one of the property owners, they had two properties we had under contract. So we were like moving at a really fast pace for just getting started, especially. Then we had like so many projects going on at once for us that we're like, all right, we need to slow this down. And that's when we stumbled upon this, the property that became my first Airbnb property. But we were doing all subject to and seller financing for the other couple properties and rehabs. We, we just, we did like a wholetail. I think that's like the new term of right. fix and flip it. We just sold it as is, especially after doing that, being part of that <laughs> rehab. We're like, yeah. what if we just didn't do the rehab for this one and just sold it? Yeah. So that was pretty good. But that one took three months to sell because we were just, we tried to go crazy high because the market was exploding at that time. We thought we could do it. We had two or three contracts fall out. Mm -hmm. It was 
terrible, but yeah. <laughs> wow. How were you guys marketing for all of these leads? I mean, you're just rolling in all the leads. Like, <laughs> what were you guys doing? So we were doing texting and cold calling. So it's not really true cold calling. What we do is we text property owners, mainly vacant homes and high equity homes and low equity homes, but mainly high, um, high equity and vacant. We would text them and say, hey, I noticed your property on 123 Main Street. Are you interested in selling it? And if they, if they replied anything positive, then we would um, call them. If they said, yeah, maybe, or sure, I'd be, in, I'd be open to it. We took that as like a good sign. If someone said like F you or like whatever, not interested, we just didn't call them. So we texted, we had every 2,000 people that we texted, and this was like text blasting, so we didn't like physically do it. For every 2,000 people we texted, we'd get about 10 to 20% to respond. So if that's 200 people to respond, out of those 200 that responded, we had a lot of like FUs, no. So it's <laughs> like we had a good response rate maybe, but they weren't really good responses. So out of those 200, we had about 40 of them say something positive. Out of those 40 people, we'd close one, maybe two deals from it. So it's really just 2, a numbers 000. game then. So you're saying like one in 2,000 yeah. is going <laughs> to actually close, maybe two on a good day. Yeah, and plus, again, we are, we are new. So we didn't have... We were just watching Pace Morby and learning his his tactics. When we did it, it worked. But if we kept on going at that lead gen, we would have gotten better at it. But after we already had two, a couple in our pipeline of deals we were working on, it was like we couldn't handle any more mentally. And also at the same time, we had construction going on. And then we had organic leads started coming in because people started to recognize us. Realtors started to recognize us. So we didn't have to even, even spend the money as well on the leads. Is that why you guys stopped marketing? Just because you were getting like organic leads? Coming yeah, out? we're getting organic leads. We got a realtor. We got a wholesaler. Um, got one on face, a Facebook group. Like it just started coming more organic. And we were doing all the marketing in-house. Like we hired a cold caller. We hired a texter. We were even doing it for other people to kind of offset the cost for us. So it was like we either need to build out that business or we need to just like not do that and outsource it. And we decided, well, we, we don't have time to build it out because we have so many other leads coming in and we don't need more leads because we already have leads coming in. So we just said, let's just turn it off for now. Love it, love it. So where are you now? Fast forward to your portfolio. What's it look like now? So the portfolio, I have two Airbnbs that I own. I have, and I, when I say, yeah, so those are two that I own. And then I'm going to be soon be managing 17 Airbnbs. Um, so just a quick breakdown of those. I have the one that I, the two that I own, I also manage those. The next, next door to the one that I own in Illinois, um, my partner bought that one too. There's one on the same lake. He bought that one too that I manage. He just bought an eight unit boutique hotel that I'll be managing. Oh. Just literally today, I got a call from someone. I was telling you that earlier. So I'll be managing his on the same lake. There's one in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin that, I'll, that I'm managing that I also own. And then two in North Carolina. And then one, soon to be two in Indiana. Wow. That's impressive. And, and like, I'm pretty excited about this topic because we haven't had anyone that is managing. So, so many. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's delve into like the intricacies of yep. like, what's What's the pros and cons to management and like how does someone get into it if they're just starting up? Yeah, so pros and cons to management, we'll start there. The pro is it literally takes 
it's the least amount of capital you can imagine. All you really need is an LLC. Besides that, there's no expenses on your end. It's just like your time of like outreach. So the pro is like, it, it's the easiest way to get your foot in the door or the lowest cost to get your foot in the door. So that's huge pro right there. Second pro is you can earn a lot of money from it because you're making 20, usually 20% of the gross income, which depending on the size of the property, that's usually at least a thousand bucks a month. If a property is making $60,000 a year, 20% of that's 12 grand, that's a thousand dollars a month. So I would say most Airbnbs, at least the ones that I'm going after, are making at least 60 grand, if not like quadruple that. So it's good for good for that. Downsides is you don't own any properties. Like you don't have ownership stake in it. So as far as all the benefits to owning Airbnbs and real estate in general, you don't have that. Um, also with managing properties in general, if you're the one doing it, especially when just getting started, you're on call 24 seven. So whether you're owning or you're just co-hosting, as if you're managing, you're on call. So obviously there's systems and processes we set in place, but that's probably the biggest downside in general of, of managing. What are some of those systems that you have today? So kind of walk us through how you were able to build that out. Yeah. So when we got started, we had nothing. <laughs> so we had, we had a lot of issues getting started because it was, a, it was a full rehab project. And then we also didn't realize that we had to actually learn. We didn't realize there was so much that went into the Airbnb stuff that we learned it at the tail end of our rehab because we, we were running tight on money. So we also did a lot of the rehab ourselves. So we didn't have the time to even think about these things. <laughs> So these, this, has been de- this has been developed over the time now. But the first thing is guest messaging. Like number one, we use hospitable.com. We were using Guesty. I just disconnected from them two days ago. I found hospitable.com to be just better, simpler, a lot less expensive. But just I found so many more pros to hospitable.com. We're using that. So as far as guest messaging goes, that's all taken care of. And get guest experience, really. Um, so that's that we use price labs for our automated, um, dynamic pricing and we use hostfully guidebooks for digital guidebooks. So those are kind of the three tech stacks we use. Love that. Yeah. We use uh, hospitable and price labs too. So yeah, yeah. nice choices. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I was curious, um, we hear co-hosting and property management all the time. Yeah. Is there a difference or are these used like interchangeably? It's interchangeably as so Airbnb, they have like people called co-hosts, VRBO, Verbo. They don't have a co-host feature necessarily. They technically have like a property management feature, but I haven't even dug into that yet. Co-hosting and property management, the same thing. I think also on, I'm not a lawyer, but as far as like legalities of being a property manager, if you're property managing a long-term rental, I believe you need to have either a license or there needs to be some type of, I could be wrong on this, so don't quote me on this. <laughs> don't come after me. But I'm pretty sure you need to have some type of license with it. Yeah, state to state. Yeah, I think it's state to state. Yeah. yeah. So with short-term rentals, it's honestly uncharted territory with like, I'm not, I'm not property managing, I'm co-hosting. It, it, it's a different ball game. It just hasn't been established yet. So... I just call myself the co-host. I haven't seen anything even state to state. Like I haven't seen any, like you need to have a license to manage a short-term rental. We're not managing it, we're co-hosting it. And that's like Airbnb, they call it co-hosting. 
you and that could and I think they intended it to just be like helping out. I don't think they even intended it for it to be really managing it, but I am truly managing their property, but it's just called co-hosting. So as a co-host, what responsibilities are like name all the responsibilities or the ones that you don't take care of? Yeah. So as a co-host, I take care of everything. Okay. I don't want my owners, I don't want to work with people and I've turned people away that want to be more active in the business. So the only thing that the owners have to take care of is making sure that their mortgage is paid, utilities, Wi-Fi, like those expenses. If, if it's reoccurring, they're paying for it. And if it's not reoccurring, I'll, I, I have their credit card information. So I technically pay for it. Like if I'm paying like a lawn guy or, or cleaner, I'm doing the action of paying for it, but I'm using their card. So they have literally no responsibility at all. The only thing that they do is every month I send them an owner's report that basically says how much money we made, how much money I spent on their card, and how much money they, how much money I, I get from it. And then if there's an issue that's going to cost more than $250, that could be like a roof leak, plumbing issue, AC, I don't have authorization to spend more than $250 at a time. So that's when I'd give them a call. Besides that, they're completely hands off. So how is payment made to you? Like, um, is it, does Airbnb pay the owner and then the owner pays you or is it another different type yeah, of way? So people in the co-hosting world do it two different ways. They do it where either co-host accepts, um, receives it and then they send the money to the owner once a month. I do it the opposite. I have the owner collect all payments through Airbnb and through Verbo. And then once a month I get paid. My philosophy is it's their property. They have bills that fly in unexpectedly. So I think they should have the money because they're, they're spending the money and I can get, there's no need for me to hold on to $10,000 if I'm just gonna, only going to have 2000 at the end of it. So for me, it's honestly just simpler if they have the money. And then once a month when I send them the owner's report, they just take a look at it, make sure it looks good. And then I either, some owners do it differently. It's really just preference. And maybe I have to be more strict with this as I scale because it's really just me, one man show right now. So I'm sometimes I'm just charging their card on Stripe. Some people want to sell me. So I'm flexible in that sense of how they're paying me, but I just do it once a month, first of the month. So since you're a one man team, what are you using kind of to help you out with that? Right. So any systems, any processes that you've, you know, implemented to be able to guide you along the way? Yeah, and I'm I'm starting to build the team out now because I'm at the point now where I'm like, okay, I, I need somebody to I come on. I imagine with 17 properties, I mean, yeah, come on. <laughs> the, the guest messaging, is, it's not even that there's a lot of guest messaging. It's more just like when there is messages, it just keeps taking away from my headspace. Right. But as far as like systems, processes, and what I'm doing to help me with that, the first thing is, like I said, like the automated messages. That's number one. That takes care of a bulk of things. And then also the team members on the ground. So that's, our cleaners, our handymen, our runners who take care of everything. The problem, again, as being a one-man band is I have to be in constant communication. If there's an issue with, let's say, the plumbing, well, I have to now be in contact with the plumber or the handyman, and I'm kind of like that third guy, middleman person. So it's still more effort on me when things go wrong, but once I have someone who comes in to handle that, then it'll be a lot easier. Now, any challenges with managing remotely? since you're not local to any of these properties? Honestly, no. No. The reason being is because if you're local to the property, 
Number one, you're going to have a tendency to just be there more, which is just taken away from your time. And if you, since I have no, I have no opportunity to be at these properties. Like if something happens at these houses, I cannot go there. Like it's, they're all like a plane ride away. So with that, I, and I had to kind of do this by force because when I set up that first property, I was actually living in Illinois for like the summer back home with my family. But then I moved back to Florida like kind of permanently until I'm actually moving next week. But I, I was managing it all remotely. So I had to come up with these like systems to manage it remotely. The other thing I described to people is like we've had windows break. We've had toilets not work, well stop working, AC break. Like we've had issues, but what is it going to do if I'm there? Like I'm not going to fix the toilet. I don't know how to fix the toilet. I don't know how to fix the window. So all these issues, all these like what ifs, it's like I don't know how to do it anyways. You're going to call someone anyway. It yeah. doesn't matter if you're a block away or a plane ride away. Literally, yeah. Yeah. No, I feel point. the same way. <laughs> As a co-host, um, I'm interested, do you pay the taxes as well? And then like, what do you do about claims? So taxes for like, um, when people stay at the property? Yeah. Like so, sometimes like, um, like in Osceola County, for instance, mm -hmm. um, you have to pay or you have to file the taxes separately individually than Airbnb. Yeah. Um, we have to pay them monthly per se. Is that something that you're doing for the owners or have you not been a part of that yet? We haven't dealt with that yet. We actually almost dealt with that because when we switched to Guesty, part of their thing is if, you on, if you're on Verbo, owners have to collect the taxes because you don't use their payment processor. It just all comes to us. And we're about to face that of like, what are we going to do? And at the end of the day, I would be responsible as a co-host for keeping track of what percent goes towards um, taxes, but at the end of the day, it's the owner's responsibility. So we haven't crossed that road. We're not going to in the foreseeable for a little while, but at the end of the day, I'm just keeping track of the numbers and then it's their responsibility to do that. And then what about claims? So if there's like a big damage, like I know one of our, our properties, uh, the gentleman cracked the glass, the tempered glass on our, our range and the, it costs equal amount of money to fix that, to just replace it all together. So we had to file a claim for that. Um, is that what a co-house would do as well? Yeah, absolutely. So any claims I handle, I'd honestly rather not even tell the owners about the claims, depending what it is. Of course, obviously if it's like, I need to replace a whole thing, then absolutely. But if it's something minor, there's just no need. For, like they hired me for a reason. People hire co's for a reason. And it's because they don't want to be in the day to day. In the, so if it's, if it's not going to impact them, I don't tell them. Maybe at the end of the month, maybe on the owner's report, I'll put that on there. If it's if it's more than $250, then I'd probably say something. But we've had like holes in the wall. We've had nothing too crazy, to be honest. More We had more crazy things happen with my property. <laughs> so <laughs> I deal with that a different way. But for, for the property I co-host, they haven't been terribly like terrible with claims. But yeah, I would definitely handle that. Are you generating your own owner's report or is that through Airbnb? I am generating my own owner's report. So it's super simple. I guess it sounds fancier now that I'm saying <laughs> owner's report. It's really just a Google sheet. It has revenue on the top. It has a couple things. So for revenue, it's just like what dates people checked in, how many people stayed there, and how much revenue was brought in. So pretty simple. If there's any notes, I have a little notes column there. Then on expenses, I just basically have like, the cleaning, every time I pay the cleaner, put that on there. Lawn, 
and then supplies, anything that comes up. That's really like the main three. And then sometimes here and there. And then it, through my fancy formulas, it automatically <laughs> adds everything together, subtracts, so it shows them how much they're getting from it, and then shows me my payout as well. That's awesome. Man, I need you as my uh, co-host. <laughs> I'm saying, bro. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, get with this man, Bailey Kramer. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Blue Gems approved, co-host. <laughs> yeah, so what's your goal for this year? Like you're at 17, you know, uh, we just finished Q1. Um, what's, what's the end goal for 2022? Yeah, that's a great question. So I just want to say like, I didn't even get into coasting on purpose either. Like my first property, my first two Airbnbs I owned. And then I kept on getting hit up from people that are like, I need a co-host. So this all happened, like everything has been kind of an accident, but it's all like good because co-hosting is a great source of, of revenue that my long-term rentals don't provide and stuff like that. So it's a great source of income that I want to continue to build. But going back to the Rich Dad Poor Dad days, I didn't read Rich Dad Poor Dad to like, definitely building business is part of the whole thing. But I got into real estate to own real estate. So my big goal for 2022 is I want to bring somebody on. I'm already bringing on like VAs for more of like the guest messaging, but I want to bring somebody on to basically like I'm the visionary. I want to bring someone on as more of the operator and they first, like first and foremost, get the responsibility off of my hands. So if the VA has a question, they don't just come to me. They come to this person first. That's like the most important thing in my head. First and foremost is like, I don't want to be, I want to be able to vacation for a week and not have to look at my phone. I can't do that right now. Like realistically, like it's not happening. I'm the only one who can answer the messages as of right now. So first and foremost yeah, is like, we, we were pretty excited whenever you came on. We we're like, how's he even going right. to hop on the podcast? Right. His phone's going to be does blown up. Does he have up. a free hour? <laughs> does, he, does he have a free hour? bro? Yeah. And dude, like plane rides are tough. Like, I'm not going to lie. Mm, yeah. Like a three hour plane ride. Yeah. yeah. It, like I try to, like if I can fly Southwest and get Wi-Fi, it's cool. I've, I've flown Frontier a couple of times the past couple of months and it's like risky. It's like, sc it's honestly scary. Like yeah. I, I, right before I took off, literally guests messaged me. Hey, I got Corona. Um, I know I'm checking in tomorrow, but can we, can we reschedule? I literally messaged back. I'm about to take off. Let me message you in two, like, yes, but let me message you in two hours. And that's terrible. That's honestly terrible. Like yeah. that's not ideal, which is why I'm bringing these people on. So first and foremost, bring these people on. Once I have more like peace of mind with it, then I can be more of the visionary of like, okay, let's scale into this market in these markets or let's, um, basically, yeah, I can, I can be more of a visionary to scale. Versus right now, I don't have time to think, like I can't think of going into different markets, getting more properties, marketing to, to people because I already have my headspace like in this side of like getting messages here and there. So first and foremost, get someone on board on my team and then we can scale. So speaking of scaling, you know, where do you see the market today? What is your opinion on, you know, the market as it stands and then, you know, since you're going to be buying, how are you kind of analyzing a potential market? Yeah. So as far as like the market, I think Airbnbs are here to stay and here to grow the good ones, the good ones. I think with already interest rates rising now, I see less people buying Airbnbs or it's just a little bit tougher until prices go down a little bit because I haven't seen prices go down anywhere. And I know interest rates have been going up. So it just makes it mathematically tougher for people to buy good deals. 
<clears throat> with traveling, I still see traveling being a huge trend. And I see the existing properties that are already high quality, like continuing to thrive. I don't see people are like, oh, interest rates have gone up by a percentage. Now we can't travel. Obviously, like gas prices might have a <clears throat> little bit of effect, but also depends on what target market people are targeting. And I'm not targeting, I'm targeting more of, they're not luxury properties, but they're in places where people would go if they have money. So one's in like, a, like one of the most famous golfing towns in the U.S. I'm not a golfer, so I'm not like technical on these, these golf terms, but it's <laughs> Pinehurst, North Carolina. The U.S. Open is going to be there in two years. We're already getting, we're already getting, we're already getting booking requests for this like golf tournament, like the U.S. Opener. Yeah, so all my markets that I'm in are more geared towards people that have more money. So they're not luxury properties, but they're in locations that people go if they have money. So for example, Pinehurst, North Carolina, one of the biggest, best places for golfing. I'm not a golfer myself, but all the huge world and national tournaments are there. The The women's tournaments there this year, the kid, there's like a kid's tournament. And golfing is definitely a sport where people have money. So like this place is just notoriously known for people, bunch of dudes honestly getting together for the week or weekend and going golfing. Like that's like our typical client. For my properties in Illinois and Wisconsin, they're larger. So it's a couple families coming together. So the price, like we're charging 2000 bucks a night for some of these properties, but it's not terrible when you have three families splitting it. Like you can't, you can't do that at a hotel if, you're, if you want the same experience. So I think where we're positioned is solid for the clientele we're going after. I think with um, people who have maybe properties that are targeted towards lower income people that would be more affected by a downturn or, or you know, gas prices would be, we oh, can't drive an hour now because gas prices is going to kill us. Ooh. That could get hurt a little bit more. At the end of the day, though, I think the demand for traveling, like since Corona hit, is like, I think it's a trend here to stay and just like more of a mindset of you only live once, like you can work, everything's remotely these days. Like that's a trend that's for sure here to stay, probably going to go virtual next. Going off of what you said though, I mean, number one, I agree with all of your points around short-term rentals becoming a, a new normal and people continuing to be more flexible in their travel plans. But the second point you mentioned was luxury Airbnbs. And JB and I have been very interested in this market because our standpoint is you're doing the same amount of effort for more money. And so I wanted you to talk about kind of that philosophy. Is that holding true in, in your markets that you're in? Yeah, so definitely the bigger the property, the more money. Because number one, it's like these bigger properties, people are just splitting it between more people. Like some of these bigger luxury properties can fit like two, three families. So if a family of that size or families want to go to vacation somewhere, they if they want the same experience as you're going to get as at an Airbnb, you cannot replace that at a hotel. It's just, it's not the same. You don't have the same gathering space. You don't have the same outdoor space. It's just not, it, there's no comparable. So my thought is you can't, you can replace the, an experience with a hotel. If you're doing like a one bedroom, two bedroom house and you're traveling with you by yourself or with a couple people that yeah, could potentially a work trip that could be a hotel. But if you're getting more than four or five bedrooms, I don't know any hotels personally that check off all the boxes that these big luxury Airbnbs, big and then also like the big luxury Airbnbs check off. Yeah, I mean, we were just in Las Vegas and um, we toured a really 
I mean, one of the craziest Airbnbs I've actually seen in person, it's 8,000 square feet, making it the largest uh, STR in Las Vegas, and it can fit 16 people. And if you think about that conceptually of breaking that up, you would need eight hotel be- hotel rooms, right? right? And $200 a night, uh, eight of those, that's $1,600 a month or a night. You could just roll that into a really nice short-term rental. Right. Now this one's going for three thousand, but it's one hundred percent worth that extra money. Yeah, it's right? definitely yeah. double the experience of yeah, all it's it's du- Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're getting your money's worth for sure. And right. like people want to be together, you know. Yeah. So plus yeah. plus the kitchen. Yeah. There's plus no the argument. living room. Like plus a TV, like movie nights, private pool. This one had. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't replace it from a hotel. Yeah. Money, even the money standpoint. Like obviously, sounds like that one at two hundred dollars a night, but two hundred dollars a night for a lot of people. That's not even to get you a great hotel. Yeah, honestly. you're probably at like four or five hundred dollars a night, especially, especially actually, in Las Vegas yeah, on so, the strip. You so know, it, it, it could also like our properties at least, and even sounds like that one too might even be more. Economical it would be, yeah, yeah, it would be for day. sure, yeah, because I, I bet they would be spending like four or five hundred dollars right a night on the strip. You know, yeah, so that's four k <laughs> a night basically. <laughs> Yeah, and then depending on the convenience, you might have parking fees, or you might have to have Uber rides. Like you have to eat out every single night, right? right? So now you can cook, um, you know, at the at the property. So you can save money on on food there. Because we had a guest on who's very big into Disney, and she made the same argument. She was like, "Look, our properties are expensive, but try to find the same price between getting three families in a hotel, right? And good luck." So you know, same argument here. It's like economically, it actually makes sense, right, for a better experience as well. For yeah, sure. I think that initial number sounds outstanding, but when you break it down and do the math, it's just like, wait, this makes more sense. Right. For sure. Love it, love it. Um, so you talked about, you know, you wanted to get everything in place in order to scale. Are you wanting to continue to co-host and manage or are you looking to just start buying only? So I want to continue to co-host because it's such a great source of revenue, honestly. And once the hardest part of it, I think, is getting started. Once you get started, it's so much easier to expand. Like today, I had somebody call me, like out of the blue. I didn't know this person. He found my one of my Airbnb listings, and then somehow found. I, I asked him. I said, "How do you find my number?" He's like, "I just did a lot of digging." Long story short, he needed a co-host like instantly. He he he. They fired his old one. He needed one like literally. T- we signed the contract today. Wow. So for that property, that's going to bring in probably. For him, $150,000 per year. I'm getting 20% of that. That's $30,000 from just like, it, and it doesn't take that much extra work to do that property. But at the same time, I want, so I want, so I like, I like the co-host idea. I want to continue that. I just don't want to be the one in the day-to-day. I want to be more the visionary, um, picking the market stuff while somebody helps with more of like the marketing and more the day-to-day. And then I want to continue to buy more properties. That's really, that's, that's why I got into real estate in the first place. And that's where I want to go back to. I just maybe partially shiny object, like, well, this guy is going to pay me 30 grand a year to do this one property. So like, how do you say no to that? Um, Especially where I was at, like I mentioned before, I dropped out of college six months ago. So for me, the most important thing wasn't to have 10 properties. It was to have cash flow coming in that was consistent and reliable. And I didn't have a it was more important for me to have that than $20,000 worth of mortgages with the potential of making $50,000. But I'm, I guess I'm a little bit risk adverse in that sense. 
Now, I, I don't know if I missed this or not, but like, how did you find your first uh, co-hosting opportunity? You know, with no yeah. experience, how do you prove to them that, hey, I'll do a good job here? Yeah, well, for me, I already bought the first property and was already managing it and then already buying my second one. So that was like, I already had experience managing it from the start. Plus it was like this crazy property that we were charging a thousand plus dollars a night for. At the, it was, this was like last year, but it was more crazy. Um, I think more of a crazy concept to like rent your property for a thousand or we're at $1,500 a night. Like I think it's becoming more normal now. I mean, obviously it's still a big number, but there's more properties popping up. I guess last year, I guess there just wasn't as many. So people were like, geez, like these people are doing some crazy things. And we were, but like it was that. And then just from posting on social media and just networking, someone referred me to somebody who needed a co-host. And that then, then I got one there. And then another person, different person, referred me to somebody in the same market, in this North Carolina market. I'm like, well, perfect. Now I have two in the same market. Like, that's even easier for me. So everything that I've had is referrals. You mentioned social media. Now, have you seen a lot of traction there? I know you're very active in creating content and you know, you're putting out a lot of valuable information. Have you found that that's helped your business grow? A ton. Like that, that is like the biggest thing. People think, you know, I haven't had, actually I've had, I've had a lot. I probably had five people reach out to me on social media to manage their property, but, or co-host their property. <laughs> but with that, like these are investors. So with investors, they buy more than one. So one lead could turn into 20. Could, yeah. could turn into not only 20, not only 20 other leads from their friend, their, their investor friends, but they, if they each buy two properties and then, you know, it's, it's a big train. It's like a big train of events, which is why I don't want to just shut it off because it's, it's starting to pick up momentum automatically. But yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we believe it. Our, our philosophy is just, you know, getting, getting that social proof, getting that social capital to become uh, a leader in the short-term rental space. And, you know, you've clearly done that. So I definitely have a lot of respect for you, not only 100%. just managing the properties, but then helping other people learn and, and kind of grow their own portfolio. So for sure. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. hundred percent. Likewise, man. Um, another question, like, are you saying no to certain hosts? Like if it's not a, a monetary value of that, you know, you're interested in, for instance. Yeah. So right now, until I can get somebody on to like really manage the day to day, cause that's like where I'm just, it's not a lot of, it's not, again, it's not a lot of work. I'm really not spending a lot of time on it. But that's it's the just, bottleneck for it's sure. just the bottleneck of, I can't do certain things without that person. And if I'm, if I'm in, if I'm on, if I'm on this interview, I don't want to have to even think about having a message. Yeah. So like, that's that. So as far as opportunities that I'm kind of denying, yeah, if they're not bringing in, I don't really have a number to be honest. Like the one that happened today, I knew the area, I knew the property is like 6,000 square feet. I think something like that, six bedrooms. I knew it was like a big property. And knew it was going to bring in a lot of money. I have these two properties in Indiana or one soon to be two once he closes on it. They are like midterm rentals for traveling nurses. So they only bring in 2,500 bucks a month, but I got 20% of it. So it's like 500 bucks a month, but they're long-term tenants who it's just like having a long-term rental that like you barely hear from them. So it was like, it was worth it for me for that. But as far as bringing on more clients, no more until I bring someone on, unless if they're in my market that I'm already in, I'm not going to turn that down. All the leads that I'm getting 
from people that just not in my market or just not my wheelhouse. I'm just referring them to my students. So I have a program for short-term rentals as well. So with, and helping with co-hosting. So I'll just give them the leads for them to take if it just doesn't make, doesn't make sense for me. Midterm rentals are favorite. <laughs> We've been um, hearing so much about them. So what do you like about midterm rentals and, and what do you not like? What I like is at least I only have this one, actually I've, one of the Airbnbs we do during the winter, we do a midterm rental. So I don't have a ton of experience with it, but from this one tenant we have, she literally does not message me like at all. So that's nice. So it's like, and, and then if she messages me, obviously hospitality is important for Airbnbs. And obviously you want to, you want to treat people right no matter what, but it's a completely different sense of urgency when they're there for a hundred nights versus three nights. If hundred percent, yeah. if the toilet's broken for the night, they can use a different toilet or like they could be okay. You know, they can work around it. If it's an Airbnb, you got to get that thing fixed within the hour with long-term it's not as big of a deal. So it's just like more chill. It's not as much money because I guess depending on what market you're in, but like 2,500 bucks a month, like I said, we're charging that almost per night. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a night and a half for one of my other properties. Crazy. But it's just, it's almost too easy not to pass up when you're getting started. If it was me, if, 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 there, if it was just me, I wouldn't continue on that path without bringing someone on again. I would almost need that to be someone else's like division because that's like a whole nother rental strategy in itself. But 100%, yeah. Super, super good in the sense that it doesn't take a lot of time. Guests are super easy, but doesn't bring in a ton of money, but it's consistent. We've also found that some markets don't allow short-term rentals. And so midterm, that 30 to 60 day range could be a good option for a property that may not cash flow long-term. Right. And is a legal short term, you can kind of find that that middle tier. For sure. I, I think that's going to be even more of a trend than it is now of going to the midterm rentals because, yeah, some markets are getting more strict with it and people are just traveling more. I still think that like these cities that are not letting you rent for 30 or for, for less than 30 days or less than 60 days, like, the people want to rent these places for less than 30, 60 days. So it's like, yeah, is there going to be demand for a 60 day rental? Yeah. But it's going to be a different clientele, I think. They're not vacationers. These are more like, I want to go to this city to work for two months because why not? So it's it's cool. I like it. But it's just like, it's a bummer. Like It's just a bummer that people like are forced to having to do that. Regulations, man. <laughs> yeah. so, so being a one-man band right now, at least, until you get help, like what's your day look like? Like morning you wake up, I'm sure you have plenty of messages, tons of responsibility. Like, what's your day looking like right now? Yeah, so it's split between a couple different things. So, and it's it's a pretty messy day, honestly. So <laughs> I have I have the Airbnbs that I'm currently managing. So that's like one bucket. I have the short-term rental program. That's another bucket. And then I have social media, which is another bucket. And then soon, I, I want to add the bucket where I'm actually actively finding properties to buy. But just where it's at right now, I just like can't do that with my my time. So on the social media side, my biggest two platforms right now are TikTok and Instagram. And honestly, it's like a combo of just showing the behind the scenes of my business and the benefits that I'm getting from it from those three buckets I was talking about. Number one is I'm just showing my business. So it's like credibility. I'm actually showing people what I'm doing. <clears throat> Tomorrow, I'm actually with this, with this, this property, property owner that I closed on today. I'm doing like a whole 
live session of just like showing me setting up the listing. So just like, I just like to give behind the scenes. I want people to see the transparency, the good, and then also the bad as well. Cause of course things get damaged, things go, things go wrong. So social media is one big part of it. I'm also a licensed realtor. I didn't even mention that, but this doesn't actually take up any of my time, but I do referrals. So that's like, like a kind of a small task here and there of just like, and also just through social media, like another benefit of being on social media is you meet people and you know, people need places to buy. People play, need, need to sell their place. So I've been able to do one official referral. I should have gotten two, but I didn't, I didn't even know I could, refer, I, I didn't even know I could do a referral. That's a whole nother conversation, <laughs> but essentially, yeah, social media is a, is a big part and is essentially like my marketing engine. What am I marketing for? It's for the co-hosting clients. It's for the realtor things kind of on the side. I don't do anything with it. And then also the program that I was talking about. Um, and then the things with my properties that I coast, those things just pop up throughout the day at random. Whenever I see fit, I'll adjust price labs on it and I'll, I'll do some manual things with it if things are slowing down or whatever. But it's not too laborious, labor, laborious on the, the coasting side. It's more of just, honestly, social media is, is a big part of it. And then getting to the point where, again, now I'm like, I'm training a VA literally starting tomorrow. Her name's Shy. She's awesome. So, Let's go, Shy. Let's yeah. go, Shy. <laughs> so she, she listens to the, she follows me on Instagram. She's like a huge fan. She, um, we used her for the cold calling and the texting. She actually, she was a part, a big a part in finding that first Airbnb for us. So she, she, she's followed the journey. So it's going to be now a lot of like training her because the, the, the Airbnbs really run by themselves. It's just growing them is just organic right now. So I'd like to get to the point where I can make it not organic, keep the organic stuff. That's always good, but also accelerate with some more um, lead gen. What do you think separates people who actually buy an Airbnb versus those who never actually get started? Biggest thing is, I think just analysis paralysis and scare, like they're just scared of the market. I've, I got, I get DMs from like, oh, is this a good time to buy? I want to buy, but I'm scared of this. I think it's just a fear thing overall. And a lot of unknowns with short-term rentals, people think that short-term rentals are like this crazy complex thing. It is definitely complex. Don't get me wrong. Like it takes systems processes. I learned a ton from just that first one that I did originally. And I made a lot of mistakes from it. But at the end of the day, it's it's a couple key components. And that's where it's like important to have like the help for it. Cause like guest messaging alone, having the right automated messages, like that stuff is important. But it's not like this crazy, like when I tell people I do it from remotely in four different states, they're like, holy moly. To me now, I don't really think anything of it because I don't think it's that crazy. It, it, if you asked me this when I before I got started, I would have thought it was crazy. But now I'm just like, dude, you just got to get the, the, the softwares going and get a couple people on the ground and you're good. Like there's not, there's more to it in the sense of like setting up and all that fun stuff. At the end of the day though, it's, it's just, it's just like doing it, like making it happen. Man, couldn't agree more. Nope. 100%. That did perfectly. So the year is 2027. Where is Bailey Kramer? Wow. 2027. I'm 27 years old at that point. And I will have, man, that's a really good question. I, <laughs> that's a really good question. 
where I'll be is like, I, I don't want to retire. I don't do anything to make passive income to retire. It's more just like time freedom. So 2027, I will have the management slash co-hosting that could also turn into maybe long-term rental management potentially, but I'll have that branch built out and just like freaking machine on that end that I won't, in. that I won't be touching like at all. Hopefully like sooner than later, I won't be touching that and it'll grow with just my vision. I'll have the investing side, which is the, really the most important thing to me overall. That's like where the real wealth is built for me. And I want that to be a machine as well by 2027. I don't have like a unit count. I don't care about unit count. I just want to have ownership. I'd rather have 100% of 10 units than whatever the math is on 1,000 units. Like if it's going to be the same thing, just I'd rather just have it be me. From having all these guests messaging me, I realize that I don't want to, I don't want my phone to blow up because so many people are reaching out to me. I don't want investors reaching out to me. And maybe that could just be as simple as just getting an investor relation person. That could very well just be the solution. But I'm not doing this to like retire or make a, a billion dollars. Like I just want to have businesses that are just running and I can do whatever makes me happy. By 2027, we getting close to marriage, getting close to having kids. So I just want to have like be set up that I can do whatever I want and that would make me happy. Incredible, man. Yeah, Incredible. Man. I think that's what we all strive for, right? <laughs> that, that time freedom to just choose what you want. Right. right? Well, man, I don't know about you, Aiden. This was an absolute episode. treat, bro. You are crushing it at such a young age. Such a young age, 22 yeah. years old. Yeah. 21, oh my yeah. goodness, yeah, 21. Man, you have a bright future. Um, keep that good energy. Keep the, keep smiling, bro. Uh, <laughs> it's contagious you. for sure. Um, one last thing, you know, we, we want to give the audience, it could be about life, it could be about real estate, it could be about investing or anything. One last blue gem that you'd like to share with people. Last blue gem, and this is partially cliche, but I seriously would not be here without this. And it is your network. Your network is your net worth, but like your network is seriously everything. When I got started, I didn't have good credit score. I, mean, I had fine credit score, nothing to brag about. I didn't have really any money. Um, I didn't have connections in real estate. And everything that I've accomplished is not because I'm like smarter or I like had more money than people or that I had a better credit score. Like everything I can go back to and continue to, like I told you, I got a lead today from for Coast, and that's gonna be an extra 30,000 per year, like from one lead. It has nothing to do with me and my knowledge. It comes from simply like everything that I've done is from networking. Nothing I have done by myself and nothing that I can do in the future is gonna be myself. Even if I'm finding deals, if I'm gonna find deals efficiently, I need my VA back, I need other people. So. At the base of it, you got to get around the right people. They will take care of not having enough money, not having uh, experience or being an expert. It'll take care of any issue, any limiting belief you can possibly think of that's holding you back. Even time. You don't have time. Partner with someone who does have time. Like Networking will fix every single problem and limiting belief you have that's keeping you back from the next um, thing. And then for me... I need to like I already, I already talked, I need to hire people, bring on people. I cannot get to where I want to be without these people. So that's, that's like right. the growth phase, but the starting phase too 
I would not be here if I didn't have the people that I networked with to help me get here, fill in the gaps for raising the capital, for helping me find the deals, helping me negotiate the deals. Like I had no knowledge in that. The first deal, I was pretty clueless throughout the whole process. I'm not an expert in rehab. I'm still not an expert in rehab, but I can do it pretty dang well because I'll just find someone who does know how to do it and it'll go, it'll go well. So networking is, is the number one piece. Guys, put yourself out there. Networking is truly the key. And if you are in Orlando, we have a meetup May 11th, a uh, big storm. We'll put a link in the description below. Come meet us up and a whole bunch of other STR entrepreneurs. Uh, Bailey was with us at the last one. I don't know if you'll be oh. in town anymore. I won't the be there next one. week, but last month was huge. I was like, honestly, not expecting that many people. Like there was a lot of people, great guest speakers. Like, so I've already told a couple guys, I think one reached out to you on Instagram. Yep, yep. He DM'd me today. Yeah. I was like, you guys got to go to this. Like this was, this blew my expectation. I mean, I haven't been to an in-person meetup maybe uh, in a long time. I've been to a couple before COVID, but this was seriously like popping off. Like so many people there and like a really good mixture of, you had obviously yeah, beginners, which is great. You want new people to come. You had a, a lot of people that were like, one to two deals, you know, a couple of deals in there. Then you had people that were like big, big fish that were like, I met some guy, he had like 30 plus units that he's managing, like huge, nice spectrum of people. So if, if you're in Orlando, which I will it, not man. be, unfortunately, I'm moving a couple of days before, but if I was there, I'd be there. <laughs> Appreciate that, man. And then thank you so much, brother. Last thing, um, Bailey, like where can people find you? I know that you're heavy on social media. Instagram, TikTok, uh, go ahead and plug away. Yeah. So social media, Instagram, TikTok, my handles, it's the Bailey Kramer. I think it's kind of the Bailey. I mean, I'm just, I'm just Bailey Kramer at the end of the day. The handles are taken though. So the Bailey Kramer, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok. Those are the two main places. And then I have, you know, in my bio, my link to my Facebook and anywhere else. I have a free Facebook group as well. So Instagram and TikTok is where I put in the most energy and you know, you can find me on Facebook if you really want to, but yeah. <laughs> and, and if somebody wanted to join your mentorship, is that in your bio as well? It's, it's not my bio. We, we truly like keep it. We don't, we, it's not just like, Hey, you can sign up for it. Like we, we want to get to know you, see if it's even a good fit first. So just message me on Instagram. It's all about like, we don't just let people in through a link. It's like, let's get, let's hop on a call. See if it makes sense for the both of us. Because at the end of the day, it's like, we want to make sure it's a good fit for you and we want you to make sure it's a good fit for you as well on, on you know, vice versa. So, you know, just DM me on Instagram. It all starts with, um, just reaching out. Amazing. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming thank on. You, bro. you are really killing it. the game. Thank you, brother. I appreciate thank you guys you so having much. me on. Yeah. Absolutely. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby. Tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems